You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Hello and welcome to a Houdat Wednesday edition of Crunch Time right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, Matt Miguez here. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. That's 706-0111. And here in Acadiana, you can check out our simulcast by going to Stadium 32.3 or Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. We are broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. The LSU Tigers picked up a win over McNeese last night. We'll recap that game. We'll look ahead to their weekend with Georgia. We'll talk about the Louisiana Rage and Cajuns baseball and softball teams as they prepare for big weekends. And of course, McNeese softball on their way to Seattle for a matchup in the Washington Regional. Let's bring in my producer and co-host now, Mr. James Mesh. James Happy Wednesday, sir. How are you? Oh, it's a fun little wacky Wednesday here in the FCO Development Studios, Matt. How are you? I'm doing well. I am. It, it is a beautiful day outside. Birds would, are chirping. Would one say Chamber of Commerce? Chamber of Commerce. I would. I would say it's Chamber of Commerce Day. Um, look, there, there's college baseball to be played tonight. Mm-hmm. There's college baseball and college softball to be covered this weekend. There's the NBA playoffs to get to. Oh, I mean, it's a good it's a good time to be alive. Can can you go wrong? Astros win. Astros win. Oh, big by the way. Um, I mean, God, it was seven to one until the ninth inning. But look, let, let's start with that LSU McNeese baseball game last night. A seven to three victory for the Fighting Tigers of LSU. The fifth-ranked LSU Tigers, that is. In a game where LSU tried multiple times to give it away. 7-4, to four, excuse me, uh, what was the final score last night at Alex Box Stadium. LSU jumped out to a 3-0 lead. Then they let McNeese back in and tied it up in the fourth. I mean, in the third. LSU adds... McNeese gets one in the sixth to take the lead. LSU adds two to take the one-run lead back. And then they added two in the eighth for insurance. But McNeese definitely had their chances in this game. A good game from Tommy White. Handful of RBIs for the sophomore third baseman. He started the first inning with an RBI double to right center. Uh, In the sixth inning, you had homers by Cade Beloso and Hayden Travinsky. And then an RBI single from, or a single from Dylan Cruz, where Trey Moore, Alex Malazzo advanced on a throwing error. And then an RBI sacrifice from Tommy White in the eighth would be enough for Jay Johnson's crew to win it. But James, we talked yesterday about how last night's game was an opportunity for LSU to get right. Have a tune-up game. Clean up some of their issues. Now, no discredit to McNeese. McNeese is a hell of a baseball team. But again, there's levels to this. 
Do you feel like they tuned up last night? It was starting off nice, getting the three-run lead early on, but then the third, Blake Money starts to fall apart, and they get five singles in a row and end up scoring three runs on it. So it's like all of a sudden the momentum you were building up crashes right away, and now you're at a tie ball game. And then McNeese even takes the lead. Yeah. And then you need the, the back-to-back homers in the sixth to reclaim the lead, and then you score two more late to have a nice little cushion. But it's like throughout the game, one slip up by LSU and McNeese would have won that game. If there is any form of a positive other than the offense, because the offense pit, the offense played well like they normally do. There were some nice moments by some of the pitchers. Credit but, credit to the bullpen. Right. The bullpen was solid. Griffin Herring gets the win. He comes in after Blake Money gives up three runs in three innings. He gives up one hit, one run, which wasn't earned. He strikes out two. Then Sam Dutton comes in two innings. He gives up five hits, but there was no runs. Then Gavin Guidry gets two-thirds of an inning. He gets two strikeouts, no hits, no runs. And then Thatcher Hurd comes in to end the game, no hits, no runs, and was able to really seal the deal late. So the back end of the bullpen, which we've been complaining about for weeks, finally played well. So that could be a positive sign heading into your final series of the regular season. But now is an opportunity for you to look at... I'm going to bring the panic button back out. Okay? Now, I haven't brought the panic button out since the Saints. But I'm going to bring it out now. Because I'm worried. I'm worried that this pitching staff will not aid this offense in the postseason. Now, am I pressing the panic button? No. But is my hand hovering around it, waiting to push down on it? Absolutely. Depends on what happens this weekend. If this weekend goes like the last two weekends have, I am jamming that panic button headed into Hoover. Let's go to the game hotline now. T, what's going on? Hey, guys. Congratulations on uh, the news. Thank you, you know, man. I'm going to miss you on the air, though. I, I appreciate that. But like I said yesterday, I'm not going anywhere. Well, good. You better surprise us. I'm going to be around. There's big plans in the works. We're good. Uh All right. Good deal, but I already uh, pressed the panic button, man. Oof. You you scared, T. They're not looking good in all aspects, you know? Ah, I mean, the the, the offense is doing what the offense has done for, for most of the year. I mean, I know they're not blowing the doors off of people like they were the beginning half of the year. But they're being consistent. They're scoring runs. But but again, it's it's the pitching staff that that's worried me all season, and it continues to worry me because outside of Paul Skeens, who do you trust? No, no one, no one. I mean, plenty of times I tell my buddies, "Y'all got some cleats? Go pitch one strike for me. Get it." Because a lot that's 
the whole problem. Walking people, hitting people. Yep. You know what I'm putting yeah, people I'm, on base and absolutely. that's what hurts you. You so, can't you, anyway, you can't give up free bases. Well, exactly. Well, again, congratulations to you guys. Appreciate you, T. Okay, as always. Yeah, you know that that's been that's been the story of the year for a lot of teams, especially the the Raging Cajuns. Can't give up free passes, and if you start getting in the habit of walking too many guys, I mean, look, LSU only walked four guys as a staff last night. That's not that bad. They didn't hit anybody either, so you know you you, t- you take what you can get. But again. If you give a team like Georgia, like Auburn, like Mississippi State, if you give them the opportunity at free base runners, they will make you pay. They will take advantage. They will make you pay. You've seen it the last two weekends. I hope we don't see it for a third, but you can never be too short. You know how many was left on base for McNeese last night? 16. 16. That's scary to think about. Right. Because if you're if you're even leaving 10 for Georgia, poor. That's a, that's a lot of opportunities poor, for them to completely blow you out. Poor Brad Burkle. He got stranded four times last night. <laughs> He's like, guys, give me in, please. Poor, poor Brad Burkle. Peyton Harden got stranded three times. Andrew Gonzalez three times. Braden Duyon three times. Yeah, I mean, McNeese should look at last night's game as a big positive. You outhit LSU. You had you only had two more strikeouts than they did as a complete offense. But look, you went into the number five team in the country's home park you out and the an offense that people call one of the greatest ever constructed and you out hit it you made him sweat that should be a huge positive headed into your final southland conference series this weekend that actually gets started tonight also the mcneese coaches show tonight uh, athletic director heath schroyer getting a five-year contract extension well deserved because Heath has done some incredible things over at McNeese. So not surprised to hear that they're doing everything they can to keep him around. Also, again, the Louisiana Raging Cajuns headed to Baton Rouge for the NCAA Regional. I have an interview coming up at 4.30 with the head coach of the Raging Cajuns, head coach Jerry Glasgow. Uh, We're also going to be joined by Jake Crane today. The top of hour number two. We're going to do it a couple days early, considering that tomorrow and Friday shows are only going to be half an hour due to LSU baseball getting started at five. Pre-game at four thirty. You can hear both of them right here on the game. So we're not going to really have a whole lot of time for guests. So we figured we would move Jake up to today, and then at five thirty, Brendan Ertel will join us for Who Dat Wednesday. That and much more coming up on today's edition of Crunch Time. Right here on the game, 103.7 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. We're back right after this timeout.
This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The game has a brand new app, and it is now your one-stop shop for all things Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Download the free mobile app today for Apple or Android devices. Just searching the game Southwest Louisiana. That way, no matter where you are, you can listen to the game Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 417, almost 418. Welcome back, Matt Miguez, James Mesh. The Game Hotline is 337 706 0111. If you want to get in on the show, let's talk about the NBA playoffs now. Game one of the Western Conference Finals last night, the Denver Nuggets and the Los Angeles Lakers. Man, did the Denver Nuggets play like the one seed. The only problem is the Los Angeles Lakers did not play like a seven seed. What a game that was last night. Denver taking down L.A. 132 to 126 behind a 34-point, 21-rebound, and 14-assist triple-double from Nikola Jokic. He had the triple-double through three quarters. You know what I call that, James? Dominance. Call that being a baller. (laughs) Call it being a hoopah. That's just a straight hoopah. Look. Props to Anthony Davis, and that's hard for me to say. <laughs> 40 points. Took a lot of guts to say that. 10 rebounds. He shot the ball well. Knocked down his free throws. He knocked down all of his free throws, which floored me. But here's the thing. Is Anthony Davis going to do this every single night? More likely than not, no. no. Exactly. <laughs> that is my point. He did this in game one. That means in game two, he'll have, what, 15, we could say? There is the potential of that, but I would lean more towards 20-plus. Like I, I could see a 23 and, and 9, 23 and 10 night from him. Is Rory Hachimura going to come off the bench and give you 17 every night? On that efficiency, uh, I don't know. I don't know about the efficiency-wise, but I could see him getting into that 14 to 17 range and still be a consistent guy off the bench. And then D'Angelo Russell and Dennis Schroeder. Because here's the thing. You you say that, and it's like, let's say Rui and Austin Reeves doesn't have the greatest of games. I feel like with Schroeder and D'Lo, I feel like maybe they would pick it up. Austin Reeves was balling last night. What a performance from him. 7 of 14, 5 of 9 from downtown. 23 points, 8 assists. I mean, I, I can't complain... I can't ask for too much more out of my rookie shooting guard. No, you can't. And it's like with with D'Lo. Are you, are you really expecting him to go over from three point range every night? No, I mean, no. You kind of expect him to knock down two out of five usually. Yeah, I, that that would be fair. Um, so it's like I feel like let's say Austin and Rui don't have the best night. I feel like Schroeder and D'Lo could pick that up and. They reverse orders, and I mean, with that, are we expecting a 132-126 game 
why all is, seven games. Why is Reggie Jackson not playing? What's going on with that? Why is DeAndre Jordan not playing? What's going on with that? Like, why, why can't why can't we get those guys on the floor? If, if you're Denver, uh, I mean, I'm I'm halfway joking, but I, I'm halfway joking. But look, I mean, Nikola Jokic was great. Jamal Murray was great because the Nuggets are are a complete team. Uh, 21 points from Kentavious Caldwell Pope, 15 from Michael Porter. You even got 12 from Aaron Gordon. And Bruce Braun comes off the bench and gives you 16. I mean, look, you can't ask for a better night if you're Denver. You shot 55% from the field, 47% as a team from downtown. You were 77% at the line. You out-rebounded your opponent by 17. You, you, You can't ask for much more. Uh, what's scary if you're Denver is that we're sitting here saying you can't ask for much more, and they only won by six. But again, I don't see the Lakers playing like this for seven games. Who is more equipped to go seven games? To me, it's Denver. Because, look, Le- LeBron, LeBron might still be a, a freak specimen. But he is 38 years old. Can his body really go seven games of playing 40 minutes a night? Anthony Davis, as brittle boned as he is, there's a reason we call him Street Closed Davis. Can he go at 42 minutes a night for seven games? However, do we also see LeBron has kind of those off and on nights when it comes to three point shooting? Like, you. You don't have to worry about him getting into the paint. Like he's gonna knock those down, no doubt. Right. But it's like he's gotten a little. He's gotten better with a three point shooting, and it's like some nights he'll be like how he was last night, where he went zero for four. But then there are some nights where he goes four for seven. Let me ask you this: How much longer, realistically, how much longer do you see LeBron James playing in this league? I see him playing at least one year with Bronny. Because he's been talking about this, that this whole time. Right. He's been talking about it for a while now, how so, he wants to play with Bronny, his so son. Bronny will be in next year's draft class. Correct. Because he's going to go to USC in August. Right, he committed to USC. He'll, he'll be at USC in August. So if Bronny decides to enter the draft after one year... He gets drafted next June. Which means he'd be in the NBA October of 2024. October 2024. So 2025 at the earliest LeBron retires? Yeah. 2026 maybe? So three years, let's say. Let's say three more years. Cat's 41 at that point. <laughs> Dude, I've heard some... I, my, I, I love my brother to death. I love my brother to death. And he knows a lot when it comes to basketball. That cat told me LeBron was going to play till 45. Look, from what no we... No way. Here's the no thing. No way. Here's the thing, though, because we had talked about it before. Brady went till 45. Drew went until 41. I'd, I, can't, I can't see LeBron playing until 45. I don't see 45. I think the 41-42 range is a lot more realistic. Yeah, three years, Because you years. play... Because it's like your contract ends or whatever. Wherever Bronny goes, that's where you go. 
you play one year if you're still feeling good you play a second year and then which, after that which that you call it after that that sequence is going to be like the wildest thing ever Bronny gets drafted by i don't know let, let, let's say Bronny gets drafted by minnesota just you know off the wall here so ant Bronny, lebron lebron cat minnesota's cashing the title real quick and then lebron's gonna go back to the house Deuces. Right. <laughs> LeBron's going to pull a Kobe, get his fifth ring, and say, all right, I'm good. We're done. LeBron in a Minnesota jersey. That's so weird to think about. But no, let's, let's look at tonight, because I, I know, I just know <laughs> that you are sweating, sir. Ah, this is this is such an unpredictable series. It, game, it gets me sick to my stomach. Game one of the Eastern Conference Finals between the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics. Boston's an eight-point favorite tonight. They are. Too high? Too low? I'm not necessarily predicting the Heat take game one, but I would not be shocked. With how inconsistent the Celtics have been this postseason at home, Dropping three games at home so far in the postseason. Not the most favorable. And even though Tyler Hero isn't with the Heat right now since he's got his broken hand, Jimmy Butler and them still scare me. I'm going to agree with my basketball coach brother. Boston and five. Boston and five? Boston and five. I I can't see that. Miami Miami (laughs) takes game three at home. I would get ecstatic. Miami takes game three at home. And it's a gentleman sweep from there. And that's it. If if Boston if Boston carries the momentum of how they did in the fourth quarter of game six with the Sixers, they're just and pretty much all game of game seven, if they can continue that trend. We've jokingly it's 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 gonna be super tough for the Miami to get two games. You and you and I have jokingly talked about how Boston has, quote-unquote, played with their food. They do. They because they play with their food, and there's just times where they just come out in the game, and they're just super flat, and you're like, what are you doing? But here's the thing. I think that this is going to be an opportunity for them. This is a wake-up call? They're going to look at that Western Conference final and go, We need to get done as soon as guys, we can. Guys, that's going to go seven. We need to get out so that we can rest. So they're going to go all out, dominate, because, look, Miami's good. Don't get me wrong. But if you catch them off guard, without Tyler Hero, they're going to struggle. Mm-hmm. So if you can catch them flat-footed early on in this series, you can put them away early on. And now, look, game three, they go back to Miami. You know, playoff Jimmy's going to show up, drop 45-50, the Heat win. I was going to say, because here's the thing. I see Boston... Screwing up at least two games. We'll see. We'll see. Because it's like we keep we keep trying to count out the heat. And they keep advancing. And it's like we keep trying to say like, oh, Boston, they should they should have beat the, they either should have swept the Hawks or got them in five. Well, it took six. You felt like the Boston Celtics should have taken it in five or six with the Sixers. It took it to game seven. So some talking about Boston, one one thing that is just mind-boggling to me is if you look at Jason Tatum, 
He's 24 years old. Mm -hmm. And he's doing what he's doing. The young man hasn't even entered the prime of his career yet. And he is doing what he is doing. That is scary. He still has room to improve. And there is. If he can get his consistency up, that's disturbing to think about. Like, he's pretty good shooting from three. I wish he would take better shots sometimes. But there are times where he tries to force himself to look like Kobe a little too much, and yep. he tries to shoot those mid-range. And it's like, look, it looks smooth. Don't get me wrong, it looks smooth. But sometimes you just take those because you want to try and be Kobe, and then you're just doinking it, and then you're your field goal percentage from that area doesn't look as good. It's going to be a fun game tonight. It's going to be a fun game tonight inside the TD Garden, 7.30 between the Heat and the Celtics, 4.30. We're going to take a timeout now on Crunch Time. When we return, sat down earlier today with head coach Jerry Glasgow to preview the Baton Rouge Regional and look at their opponent on Friday afternoon, the Mavericks of Omaha University, right here on the game. This is Crunch Time. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back into Crunch Time right here on the game at Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. The Louisiana Raging Cajuns and the LSU Tigers softball team getting set for the Baton Rouge Regional this weekend. It'll kick off 2 o'clock on Friday when Louisiana takes on Omaha. Now, Omaha comes into this regional with a record of 32-15, and 15-5 and in the Summit League. They are the Summit League Conference champions, and they were led this season by Cameron Meyer in the circle. She is currently rated fifth in the country in strikeouts with 266 on the season. Of course, Montana Fouts from Alabama leads that category with 311. But when you look at this regional, we've talked about it all week. It's a winnable regional, whether you look at it from LSU's perspective or you look at it from the Louisiana Raging Cajuns' perspective. Uh, this has always been a fun regional because it's a full crowd at Tiger Park with both red and and purple shirts in the building. Look for it to be a lot more of the same this weekend. It's going to be overpowered by the Cajuns and Tigers faithful. Uh, if they get a matchup at some point this weekend, that will be dynamite softball here in the state of Louisiana. But earlier today, I had the opportunity to sit down with the head man of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, head coach Jerry Glasgow, to talk about this regional, talk about the conference tournament and how that environment prepared his team for this regional. Because when you look at conference tournaments, it's really a great preparation for a regional because it's a regional format, right? You're going to play three games or four games even in three days, and you really have to figure out how to work your lineup in a way that makes everybody successful. And, and so it's going to be more of the same this weekend in Baton Rouge. You're going to play Friday. If you win that one at 2 o'clock, you play at noon on Saturday. If you lose that one, you play at 2.30 on Saturday. If you have to play at 2.30 and you win that game, you turn right around and play again at 5. So 
you need to have fresh arms at all times. You need to have fresh batters at all times. So we talked about how to construct a lineup in order to be successful there. We talked about the depth of his team and how that's going to pay dividends. Plus, we talked about his opponent Friday afternoon in Omaha. It's a great conversation with head coach Jerry Glasgow. Uh, Once again, we really appreciate him taking the time to sit down earlier today before practice. So here is the conversation with the head coach of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, Jerry Glasgow. Coach, 48 hours away from the postseason. Uh, I know it's probably not the destination that, that you guys wanted, but when you look at this regional, it's a team that you're familiar with in LSU. It's a park that you're familiar with, having played there earlier this year. Uh, just kind of give me the rundown and, and your thoughts on the Baton Rouge regional. I, I think that, you know, Omaha's going to be a really good compet- uh, competitive first-round game. I think it'll be a low-scoring game, but I think it's a game we can win. And then, you know, LSU is a very good team, a very good SEC team. Um, they're very well coached. Uh, but the environment will be great to play. And you know when you go into the NCAA tournament, you got to beat people. you got to beat good teams. And LSU's a good team. And the I think the one advantage we have, we know we can beat them. We did beat them. We beat them on that field. They beat us on our field. And so I think you go in there, just the team that plays the best going to win. That's all you want in the NCAA tournament. You want a chance to play your best ball and get a win. Now, when looking at the schedule, you guys are going to play the first game at 2 o'clock on Friday afternoon. Does that benefit you guys to get your game out of the way, maybe hang around and, and scout the other game a little bit and, and get to bed pretty early to get ready for Saturday? Yeah, I think I'm ready to play. I think the girls will just want to get on the field and play so. I don't think it's any disadvantage. I think if you know everybody just wants to get out back out on the field and get get comfortable, and uh, I don't need, I don't know if we'll stay and watch that game, second game. We get, there's so much video now we can come back and watch it. You may want it, to. It's going to be hot, and so as you look at the three days in a row playing on a hot days, you may want to get get out there, get your game over with, and then get back in. Uh, in the hotel, get rested for the next day and keep your energy. Um, so, but we're definitely looking forward to playing. I, I, I think it's the sooner the better. Now, looking at your team, you know, I'll start with Maya Davis in the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. Offensively, she struggled a little bit at the plate, but Coach, she really made up for it defensively. Talk about Maya and, and the ability that she has to really do a little bit of everything for you guys and especially so early as a true freshman. Yeah, I mean, that's the beauty of Maya. She, she's a five-tool player. She can beat you with her arms. She can beat you with her gloves. She can beat you with her speed on the bases. She can hit the ball over the fence and win a game. She's done that for us. Uh, and then very consistently, she just gets on base with a high average. And you know, she was a little off in the college tournament, but that's probably a good time for that to happen. And I expect her to have a big reacher. Sam Landry. Yeah. Really good running old pitching, really good right now. Enormously talented, always has been. And what you've seen now, she's growing up mentally and becoming a really tough, um, tough competitor in the circle. And her toughness is and maturity is now starting to equal her talent. So that makes her really dangerous. Talk about Sam's ability to change the game. Because she talked about it after the conference championship game where 
She likes to move at a fast pace. So she sped the game up. A lot of players can't do that. Talk about her ability to really change the pace of the game and make herself more comfortable. You know, she wants to pitch with pace. You know, she she wants to get the ball, get back on the circle, and throw it. And uh, and that's really good. Your defense tends to play better when the pitcher is working fast. And you know, she's got a lot of talent, and she can throw a lot of different pitches. She can throw a lot of different um, speeds. And so I think it gives her an advantage when the hitters don't have much time to think. They can the faster you can go out there and throw it, the better. And I think that's been a process for uh, our pitching coach and our catcher and everybody to get on the same page and get that down to where we can work fast. But she's enormously talented, and I think it's to her advantage, and she does too. You know, if you if you look at the board behind you, you've got tons of depth on this team, and there's a potential that you guys to play five games in three days. Talk about how you plan to, you know, use that depth to keep everybody sharp and and rotating in and out. Yeah, I think that the depth comes into play more on matchups. You know, I think there's uh, against Omaha, there's no doubt the lefty hitters have a little bit of advantage over righty hitters against that pitcher, and so we can we'll put a little more left-handed out there than we normally do, and then you know we can also. Uh, platoon some defensive moves in and out and make our defense stronger for a couple innings at a time. We'll try to do that. And, of course, we get into five games when we need to use a lot of pitchers. And we have got we do have depth in our bullpen. We've got a lot of confidence in, in our arms all the way down to the fifth and sixth spot in our bullpen. So it's always good to have depth. And, and when you get into tournament play and you can have three games or you could have five games, it could be in the, you know, it could be 95 degrees this weekend. It's going to be hot. And so that all comes into play. We're thrilled to have that. Chatting with head coach Jerry Glasgow. Now, you talked about the pitching depth. Talk about, you know, your younger pitchers, Chloe Riasetto, Tyler Oob, and, and how you plan to use them this weekend. Yeah, I think that, you know, they're working and they're waiting, and next year's going to be their time. And this weekend, if we get if we get blowout games, we definitely would love to have that thought that maybe we get them out there and get them on them in the circle much as Kendra Lamb as a freshman at Ole Miss we were able to get her a couple of days of work and I could tell when we put her in just the way she handled the crowd 1500 people that was an indication to me that she was going to be a pitcher that could handle pressure later in her career so if we get a moment we can use those kids we will Gloria said those showing resilience where if we got in a jam with the bases loaded or something like that we love putting her in those spots and we might do that you know early in the tournament because she's really good at that. Um, and we have a lot of faith in her in that spot. So we'll just use those kids as we, as we, as a, as it goes about, but you know, if not, they'll, they'll, they'll be there hopefully next year. Talk about, talk about your first opponent this weekend in Omaha, uh, 32 and 15 won the summit league conference and their big, their big name to look out for is their pitcher. Like you mentioned, Cameron Meyer, uh, she's fifth in the country in strikeouts this year. Talk about what she does well, what you've seen on film out of them, and, and how you can find uh, opportunities to attack. Yeah, she's averaging 10 and a half strikeouts a game. Um, strikes out a, a batter and a half an inning. So so she's formidable. And that's that's one of our strengths as a team. We don't strike out a whole lot. So it's going to be interesting to see how that matchup plays out. I'll be disappointed if we strike out over seven times. <clears throat> and I would like to keep those strikeouts five or less. If we do that, I think 
you know, we'll put the ball in play 16 times and make them make plays. And I think that's going to be one of the keys to the team, uh, keys to the game, is how our team uh, handles her pitching. And we'll try to keep that number as low as possible. And what have you seen from their their batting order defensively, things like that? Uh, I think it's a lineup that we can, we if we play defense uh, and pitch well, we should be able to keep up keep it to be a low scoring game because we want to go in the game expecting a game like Marshall one nothing two to one and that's that's a that's a blueprint for success to try to keep the game real low scoring score more, one more run than they do you know we, we talked about on Sunday after the regional was announced about the the mentality of y- your team headed into this regional team might have a little bit of a, a chip on their shoulder after the the regional announcement how do you use that chip mentality as a positive rather than letting it affect their play yeah i I don't know i just want to see them focused i think if we really go into the tournament with a a huge amount of focus and we're really locked in on what's important that day uh, hitters getting good pitches pitchers making good pitches and and value every opportunity which is every pitch that you throw and every pitch that you receive and every play that you have an opportunity to make on defense, if we just value what's important, we'll be fine. Talk about how special it is to, to get to go play in Baton Rouge once again and, and your crowd being able to travel just the 45 miles across the basin. Yeah, you know, you expect to have a really good crowd. There's going to be a lot of red there. And, uh, you know, it's a matchup that, because of the competitive nature of the matchup, two really good programs that located close together, and close enough that the fan bases can both come back and forth. and uh, It'll be fun. It'll be a great environment. Baton Rouge is always a, a real loud crowd. Our crowd's always a real large crowd, so we can put them together as extra loud. It, it's going to be a lot of fun for the players, no doubt about it. Once again, want to take the time to thank head coach Jerry Glasgow for joining us this afternoon to talk about the regional and his team as they get set to take on the Mavericks of Omaha 2 o'clock on Friday afternoon at Tiger Park in Baton Rouge. We'll go ahead and take a time out here on Crunch Time. When we return, we'll wrap up our number one right here on The Game. This is Crunch Time on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Are you tired of your boring man cave? Well, if you are, then the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with the ultimate man cave makeover built by Lafayette Marble and Granite. Guys, let me tell you about this great deal. If you sign up today in the Game Rewards Club, you can have the opportunity to win a new recliner for Borderlands Furniture, a flat-screen TV from AVI, and much more. It's the Ultimate Man Cave Makeover, powered by Lafayette, Marble, and Granite, and The Game. Head to 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com to sign up today, courtesy of Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're listening to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Slings it far side. Stingley steps inside the receiver and picks it off. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. A shot to left field. Going back on it's Gordon. He'll look up at the corner. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 
Welcome back to Crunch Time, wrapping up hour number one here in the EFCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. EFCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in multifamily construction. Really good stuff from Jerry Glasgow talking about the Raging Cajun softball team. Look at the foodie poll question of the day. What is your favorite type of crackling? Is it pork? Chicken? Duck? Or is it all of them? Vast majority is going towards pork. I'd probably go with that as well. Underrated, though. Definitely have to go with chicken. I've never tried duck, but I'm willing to try it. Why, why would I want to eat fried duck fat? I'm good. I'm good. Chicken, however, chicken crackling is where it's at. And a shout-out to A-Bear Specialty Meats. They've got the best chicken crackling that I have tasted in town. Give us your thoughts on the poll question on Facebook and Twitter and vote if you haven't already. But looking at the Houston Astros, Matt, improving to 23-19 and 19 on the season after they won Game 2 and took the series over the Chicago Cubs last night in Game 2, 7-3. to three. They're not exactly hovering around 500 anymore. No, they, they're starting spaced, to, start to break, away. break away a little bit, which is good. Um, yeah, you know, the win last night was really good. Uh, Jordan Alvarez continued to do... You know what he does uh, with a pair so of you hits, do Jordan things, pair of RBIs. Uh, Mauricio Dubon got on to- on base twice last night, which was good to see. Alex Bregman bringing in an RBI as well. Look, you know the the thing that's impressed me the most about the the Astros is over the last couple of games, you've kind of looked at them and you've noticed that. For the last couple of years, the Astros have been known as this team that can hit a lot of home runs because you had Bregman and Jordan and Tucker, and at one point you had Springer and a couple others. You really had guys that could hit for power and hit a lot of home runs. But this year, you're not seeing as many home runs hit by the Astros, and they're showing that they can beat you in multiple ways. I mean, look at last night. He scored seven runs and didn't hit a single home run. So if you're the Astros in that scenario, I think that that's a strong point to make. And also the the starting pitching has done very well lately. Uh, Christian Javier goes six innings last night, five strikeouts. He only gave up one run. Uh, Tonight you're going to see J.P. France make his first career start at Minute Maid Park, uh, which is going to be incredible to see the Louisiana native uh, suit up for the Astros in Houston. Hunter Brown has had a strong rookie season as well. Um, so the, the rotation for the Astros looks really good right now, even after dealing with some injuries. Um, but James, I, I know you wanted to get to the in the day of artificial intelligence. Uh, Fox Sports decided to ask ChatGPT to rank the top 10 all-time teams in the NFL since the year 2000. All right, and coming at number 10 was the 2019 Chiefs. It's fair. The 2005 Steelers. That's fair. The 2002 Bucks. Okay. The 2015 Panthers. 15 and 1. Kind of okay. hard. They were they were pretty dominant up until the Super Bowl. The 2004 Eagles. The 2000 okay. Ravens. 
the 2016 Patriots, the 2009 Saints at number three, the 2013 Seahawks, and then the 2007 Patriots. Now, it's interesting that ChatGBT did that, which obviously it's not going to do on-field analytics because it doesn't have eyes and doesn't kind of have a brain. It kind of just looks at the statistics and analytics and kind of made a basis off that, which is why obviously you saw the Patriots in 2007 being the number one team since they went 16-0. and 19-0 until the Super Bowl. Right, 16-0 in the regular season. Um, was undefeated until the Super Bowl. That 2013 Seattle team, though, was scary. It was. It's just funny that we talk about it, and a bunch of these teams on this list didn't win the Super Bowl. Correct. Now, there is an argument to be made because this goes into the the eyeball test, not just looking at the statistics by itself. But, I mean, one could argue that the 2011 Saints were a better team than the 2009 Saints. It's just they kind of hit that brick wall. No, they hit something called Marshawn Lynch. Was what happened to that team. The 2011 season was No, that's right. Vernon Davis. Yeah, 2010, year before. But anyways, the the point here is that when, and and we're going to run out of time, so we'll continue the conversation in our number two. We'll be back right after this top of the hour sports update. You're listening to Crunch Time on the game. 2037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Hour number two of Crunch Time here on the game, Southwest Louisiana sports station. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios. Here in Upper Lafayette, FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. In hour number one, we broke down the Denver Nuggets taking down the Los Angeles Lakers last night in game one, previewed Sixers or Celtics heat, and had a conversation with Raging Cajuns head softball coach Jerry Glasgow here in hour number two. We're going to do Who Dat Wednesday with our guy Brendan Ertle, give you the latest Saints news, including a potential Hunter Renfro, Derek Carr reunion. But before we do that, it's time for Jake's Takes with our guy Jake Crane, host of Crane and Company. Jake, happy Wednesday, my man. What's going on? Man, happy Wednesday. You guys good to be with y'all. So let, let's start with the NBA playoffs. I mean, the Denver Nuggets beating Los Angeles Lakers last night, 132-126. to 126. You know, when you see Nikola Jokic put up 34-21 and... 14 you kind of have to just sit there for a, a second and just be in awe of what of what the guy can do yeah I mean it's it's amazing I mean there's not another way to describe it you know him coming into the league and losing weight so he's able to you know work in those conditions and they play half their games obviously in that elevation but you know the thing that stands out to me the most about it, about him is his passing ability like, like that's the thing that I think separates him I mean he's He's really a point guard playing center. You know, everybody talks about Anthony Davis, 
you know, hitting that growth spurt in high school and going from a guard to, to center or power forward, and that's why he's able to handle the ball so well. I mean, they got Jokic bringing the ball up the court. But, you know, it, it truly was a team effort as well. I mean, Jamal Murray got his. Michael Porter Jr. is turning out to be what a lot of people thought he could be. He's just finally healthy. So, I mean, the Nuggets look good. Uh, defensively, we know that, that the Nuggets aren't the greatest team. The Lakers were able to put up 126 points. But, you know, just speaking about Jokic alone, man, he's incredible. In a seven-game series, because that's how far I think that this series is going to go, who has the advantage out of the Lakers and the Nuggets? Well, you know, I, I think that, that it's obviously the team that can play game seven at home. You know, I wouldn't be shocked at all if this one goes seven. But when you look at personnel, I mean, both these teams, the Lakers have had the best defense in the playoffs. The Nuggets have had the best offense. Uh, you know, it's, it's, if I had to say who had an advantage, the Nuggets have Jokic. I mean, that's to me, that's the ultimate advantage, even though LeBron's on the other team. So I like the Nuggets to win, but I, I'm not going to be shocked at all if this goes seven. Looking at uh, another storyline in the NBA, look, man, how, how much longer do, does the NBA continue to discipline John Morant before serious things go down? Um, Look, with the John Morant situation, what he did isn't illegal. It's just stupid. I mean, and, and I'm never going to get upset at an entity or a corporation or a company or organization, however you want to put it, you know, having a code of conduct they expect people to follow. And uh, I just don't understand it. I mean, do, do, and it's amazing. All these bad things keep happening with the same people, this Devontae Pack guy. I mean, at what point does somebody who really care, cares about you look at you and say, man, you are going to blow an opportunity that 99.99% of the population would crawl over broken glass for. So I hope he figures it out. But Adam Silver came out the first time and talked about what he was doing as reckless, and that he had that eight-game suspension. I wouldn't be shocked if you saw a pretty heavy hand here, and it's the best thing for John Morant. Looking at the NHL now, uh, Dallas and Vegas, Carolina and Florida – uh, you know, going to be two incredible playoff matchups. Uh, talk about each one and who you got moving on to the Stanley Cup final. Man, I mean, this Stanley Cup playoffs is totally delivered. I mean, the Panthers have been such a great story, uh, you know, kind of being the underdog coming through all this. But I picked the Canes to win it in the beginning, and I'm going to stick with it. You know, I think they're really balanced. I think they're really physical. Uh, I, I, I like the way that, that the, you know, they're able to pass, but they're also aggressive when they need to be aggressive. But it's the physicality for me uh, that, that I think is going to push the Canes over the top. Now, when you look at the other side, you know, what the Knights have done as an expansion team has been really, really impressive. I mean, they've got to be in the top five uh, when it comes to success rate for expansion teams at the end of the day. So it's been really impressive, you know, to see what they're doing. Uh, when you look to, you know, at the Stars, uh, obviously um, a team that was able to survive the Kraken who really overachieved, in my opinion. But I like Las Vegas in this one. I think you're going to see the Canes versus the Knights in the Stanley Cup final, and I like the Canes. Now, going, going back to the NBA real quick, one thing that I forgot to ask, with Doc Rivers and Monty Williams both getting fired over the last week or so, were you surprised to see both of those moves go down and – where do you think either one of them end up coaching again, if so? Well, we all know these professional leagues, they just recycle coaches. The thing with Doc Rivers is I think they should have fired him. Uh, again, how many times are you going to be the bridesmaid? I know he won one with the Celtics with Paul Pierce and Garnett and Ray Allen, 
But, I mean, they can't even get to the conference finals. And you would have, you had a chance to win it game six at home with the MVP, uh, with a roster that's good enough to win it. And then you play uh, – you, you didn't even have to see the Bucks. I mean, this was your most prime opportunity, uh, and they blew it. So Doc will end up somewhere. Uh, now, when it comes to Monty Williams, that one really surprised me. But I, I think the Suns have to keep Devin Booker and blow this whole thing up. That, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, they can't play defense. And you can't just be a finesse jump-shooting team and think you're going to win an NBA championship, even with the way the game's officiated now. But you look at a guy like Mike Budenholzer, who just got let go after having the regular season and the success that they've had. You see Nick Nurse uh, even going back a little bit further. So I don't know. I know the money. Uh, I get it. But why would you want to be a head coach in the NBA right now? I mean, I, I wouldn't. I think it's the most dangerous league to be a head coach in, in any league. And I never thought I'd say that when you look at how cutthroat the, the NFL is and, shoot, the SEC if you want to be real. But uh, I, I was surprised by everyone except Doc Rivers. You know, you, you asked who wants to be a coach in the NBA right now. What are your thoughts on Houston's head coach, Kelvin Sampson, interviewing for the Milwaukee Bucks job? Well, I, look, Kelvin knows knows basketball. I mean, he's a guy that I think could transition well to the NBA, but, man, you've got a great gig in Houston. And you're going into the Big 12, but it's always a good look because you always have to go back to the negotiating table at some point as a head coach. It's always a good look when you have that little feather in the cap that says, oh, yeah, well, you know, I just interviewed for the Bucks job. Uh, that gives you a lot of cachet or, or leverage, as some people call it. So it's a compliment. Will, will he get it? I don't know, but I think he is one of the guys that could transition well to the NBA just with his style. Chatting with Jake Crane, host of Crane & Company here on Crunch Time. Jake, 705 tonight, the Rangers and the Braves in Arlington. The Braves 26-16 and 16 on the year. Spencer Strider on the mound. Talk about uh, talk about the boys in Atlanta. Now, I'm not worried about the starting pitch, and our bullpen is absolute hot dog water, and it's embarrassing to see. I wish I could bet every day on whether the Braves' bullpen is going to blow a game. It seems like we're up two, three runs by the time we get to the seventh inning and just the wheels fall off. But they'll be fine. Uh, Alex Santopoulos is one of the best in the business. We know how crazy it gets up toward the trade deadline. They'll find a way to make it work because, you know, you look at the NL East right now, you know, the Mets are an absolute disaster. I see that the Phillies are in second and got Bryce back, but I think you'd be crazy to not say that the Braves are a heavy favorite to win the NL East once again. Now, when you look at the Rangers, they've been one of the great surprises of the Major League Baseball season so far, and DeGrom's been beat up. So uh, on one hand, I think it's good for the game to see the, see the Rangers having the success they've had. But in a personal note, I'm sick of watching the Braves' bullpen blow it. It appears that college football is getting its video game back. Mm, yes. Oh, man. I think this could bring the country together. There's not many things that could bring the country together. NCAA football coming back, uh, I think it could. They found a way around you know, the Ed O'Bannon case where you can opt in and get paid if you want your likeness on there. Uh, so, man, I'm, I'm excited. I, I can't wait for it, you know, even as an adult. Then, let's be real. Like, if you didn't get in a fight or an altercation with one of your friends over NCAA 14, are you guys really even friends? <laughs> I mean, I never got in a fight with a friend. And, uh, well, to be fair, I don't have many of those friends anymore. So you might be onto something there, Jake. Look, I'm just – it's part of it, man. I mean, how many – that game – I wonder – I wish we could put a number on how many – you know, the, the financial – uh, numbers on how many broken controllers there were because of that game. Last weekend of college baseball before the conference tournaments, just how crazy is this postseason in college baseball going to be? 
Man, look, whenever you have baseball and you have the playoffs, I mean, it's always nuts. I mean, Coastal won it a couple of years ago. What's been crazy is to kind of see some of these teams that were cruising along, like LSU, you know, struggling. Speaking of bullpen, uh, outside of, of the Friday night guy, I mean, LSU right now searching pitching-wise. You look at South Carolina, they've fallen off a cliff. They just got swept by Charlotte uh, in, in the midweek. So uh, it, who knows? It's all about getting hot at the right time. It's just like the NCAA tournament in basketball. But I, can, I can't guarantee you a lot in college baseball, but I can guarantee you it's going to be crazy. Softball regionals getting underway this weekend. Uh, Jake, is this one Oklahoma's to lose? I mean, yeah, it's, it's you know, I'm, I'm starting to wonder if they have any guys on the team. I mean, you go 51-1. and one. I know they lost to UCLA last year in the Women's College World Series, but what Patty Gasso's done is, is just incredible. And they're so dominant. It's so hard to be that consistently dominant in a game like softball and baseball. And I'll say this. I think women's college softball is the best women's sport out there, and I don't think it's even close. I, that, that, to me, is appointment watching. That, honestly, is the only women's sport to me that is appointment watching outside of, you know, obviously what we saw in the NCAA basketball tournament for the women this year with Caitlin Clark and LSU and just the craziness that went along with that with South Carolina. That was some great ball to watch. But college, high-level college women's softball is so much fun to watch. UL and LSU going to be in the same regional this weekend. Who gets out of Baton Rouge alive? Man, look, it's hard for me to bet against the Lady Cajuns, uh, you know, with, with, with just the cachet that that program has. But, but I'm going to take LSU. Uh, I, I think LSU finds a way to get it done, but it should be a heck of a regional. There's some great matchups in these regionals, and I like how they pair up the local teams. And I think it gives it an extra little bit of flavor and intensity. Heat Celtics tonight. Who you got in game one? Man, I got to go Boston. I got to. And the Heat's a great story. They've been a great story the whole year. But you know what else is a great story? Hansel and Gretel and Little Red Riding Hood. And how did it end up for them? So uh, I, I like the Celtics. They just got too much. I'm very interested to see if Jason Tatum can take that his gameplay and what we've seen at late in games early in the playoffs and now do it when it really, really counts uh, in the conference finals and in the NBA finals. But when you look at the roster and just depth-wise, the Celtics have a huge advantage. And then lastly, you know, this weekend, what are you watching? What are you betting on? Things like that. Man, a little bit of everything. I'm actually getting married this weekend. So uh, this is uh, th- this is one weekend where I'm, I'm going to be a little bit tied up. Um, but, I mean, obviously it's what we got going on uh, just in college baseball, not even not even talking about the postseason. You know, the last re- oh, regular season weekend in college baseball, obviously the NHL. I want to see how this Panthers game uh, goes on the road at the Canes. I really like the Canes, minus one and a half. Everybody's going to be hot on the Panthers, and they deserve it. Uh, but in the NBA, man, I, I'm going back and forth. I Take the over in any Lakers-Nuggets game. Just go ahead and take the over. That's the smart play. It's the Heat-Celtics over-under that's got me, you know, like feeling like Rain Man sitting down at the blackjack table right now. There's just numbers and equations just going in front of me, and I'm flipping them like Tony Stark. So there's a couple things to keep your eye on. And then the PGA Championship, man. I don't know why. And I'm not his biggest fan, but it just smells like Rory this weekend. Well, now, wait. If you're getting married this weekend, who's going to fill in for you on Crane & Company while, while you're on the honeymoon? We got, we got some content planned. We've been uh, banking a lot. we got some really good stuff. So uh, we've got it covered. Thank goodness. All right. We couldn't well, let my brother host it. After, after the way he botched Wimbenyana this morning? I, I don't know oh, that I, I, don't know that I would. Me. That broke me live. That broke me live. Like, that's... <laughs> 
my brother, obviously we have a very similar sense of humor, but watching him trying to pronounce, uh, pronounce Victor Wimbayama's last name this morning had me absolutely ripped to shreds. Jake Crane, host of Crane & Company, joining us here for Jake's Takes. Jake, appreciate you as always. Congrats on the wedding this weekend, bud, and uh, we'll do it again in a couple weeks. Hey, thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. And there he goes, Jake Crane, host of Crane & Company. Take a timeout, 516. When we return... Could Hunter Renfro become a New Orleans Saint? We'll talk why it makes sense next. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles is your home for the McNeese Coaches Show. Presented by Mr. Bill's Seafood Express, the Southwest Beverage Company, line of bed out of Westlake and the Southwest Louisiana Law Center. Tune in tonight at 6 as Jim Gazzola will be talking with athletic director Heath Schroyer and softball coach James Landrino. You can hear it all right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the McNeese Coaches Show. Let your voice be heard. Hello. Give us a call on the hotline at 337-706-0111 and speak your mind. Yellow. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 520, welcome back. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. It was thrown around earlier today on Twitter that Hunter Renfro could be on the market. The former Clemson wide receiver, current Las Vegas Raiders receiver. The The thing that's going to be interesting to watch here is if... Because right now, if you look at it, the Saints don't really need a wide receiver, right? They're, they're pretty well set up at that position with Michael Thomas, Chris Olave, Rashid Shahid. You bring in A.T. Perry. You bring in Brian Edwards. You still have Traquan Smith and a couple others. So you don't really need a wide receiver. But post-June 1st, if the Las Vegas Raiders were to cut Hunter Renfro, it would save them $470,000 against the salary cap. But James, if they trade him after that date, they would free up more than $11.2 million in cap space. So first, I'm here to tell you, the man's not getting cut. He will be traded if the Raiders choose to not keep him. Is it far-fetched to say that a third or fourth round pick would be enough to get it done? And if that is the case, James, is a third is Hunter Renfro worth giving up a third or a fourth round pick? Hunter Renfro is a solid guy. Like we we we've seen him pop off before. However, I don't think I'm really in favor of going out of your way to give up assets to pick up a guy who it's not like Hunter Renfro is the oldest guy in the league, but when you look at him being at 27, eh, I mean, he, he kind of came into the league, what, already at 23? 
He was 24. 24. He stayed five years at Clemson. Yeah, because he, he stayed a while at Clemson. He's he's a solid wide receiver. Uh, I don't know. I really like what they're doing with the youth. I'm not the one to give up assets unless it's a guy that significantly improves that room. You know what I would and do? And I don't think Hunter Renfro necessarily improves that room significantly. You know what I would do? I would call Las Vegas. Say, look, you need to trade him because you need to get $11.2 million off your books. So I will give you a sixth rounder, Trey Quan Smith, and a fifth rounder. That Trey Quan Smith contract is what? Two million? Two and a half? He's, he's not making gobs of money. So they would still come away saving nine million against the cap. You get a serviceable receiver and. He's owed $2.7 million in base salary. He has a cap hit of 3.4. So you would still be $8 million in the green. You get a serviceable receiver, and to make you say yes, we'll, we'll throw in an early day, day three pick. If I'm the Raiders, I'm taking that. Because then you could turn around and take that $8 million, and go get something you need. Right? Another reason why I think the Saints should do it, do I, do I think that Hunter Renfro drastically improves the receiver room? No. However, he does have that familiarity Thank with you. Derek Carr. There it is. Because you're starting to become the New Orleans Raiders. There it is. He has familiarity with your new franchise quarterback. I put it in air quotes because he's not going to play long enough to truly be a franchise quarterback. But that's what you're hoping he becomes. You're hoping that Derek Carr is going to be the guy that leads your offense for the next six to eight years before he retires because he's 31. That that's what you're that's what you're hoping for out of Derek Carr. So early on, if you can get him pieces that he is familiar with, knows how they work things of that nature you will set yourself up there to have success early on um so again do, do i think hunter renfro is this you know thousand yard a year type of receiver no and that's not what i would expect him to be in new orleans but i think he can be a guy that makes your quarterback comfortable. He makes your new tight end comfortable. It just works. And you wouldn't have to give up a whole lot to get him. I mean, we, we've talked about dumping Traquan Smith anyway. Um, the fans have a, been wanting them to get dropped. <laughs> you, you'd give up a day three pick, like, boo-hoo. It, it, you're not giving up a lot. The Raiders win, and I feel like in the end, you would win. Now, Ralph's chiming in saying, why not move Taysom to the slot, which is where Renfro plays? Hill isn't a tight end, and we'll probably see less wildcat packages with Carr in the offense. That's a good point. But are you really going to see less wildcat packages? 
Are you really going to take that aspect of your offense away? With how much the offense coordinator, Pete Carmichael, and Dennis Downs were getting criticized with how little they were using the package last year, they're going to go even less for Derek Carr? No, I think they would try and make it even easier and be like, hey, give you some plays off. Taysom, we know you still got juice left in you. Go do QB power. Right. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to just completely get away from that. Um, so, look, that's an interesting thing to keep an eye on over the next couple of weeks because, again, it wouldn't happen until after June 1st because that's the only way they'd be able to save that much money. But keep an eye. It's just, if if you're going to do that, I would assume you mess with his contract at that point because his base is 6.5, and then in 2024... The base would be eleven million, so you would have to you would start moving around with that contract. For because sure, I just I still think they the Saints would rather just keep Traquan Smith, even though we don't like him. They still love his blocking ability and what he can do a couple of games a year. No doubt, no doubt about it. Um, you, you're not going to just completely take Taysom Hill out of the offense and, and keep him. You know, in the in the slot, I don't think that would be a necessarily a bad idea. But again, even if you line him up in the slot, you're still going to use him in wildcat packages. That's not just going to go away. And you're still going to throw him out there every once in a while in the slot. That doesn't mean he's only going to be lining up a quarterback or only right. lining up a tight end. And, and I like get, they I, move him, they move him all over the place. I get the power back argument in, in Jamal Williams. But, uh, again, Taysom's just been so successful for you. He has a nose for the end zone. As a a wildcat guy, I just don't see why you would go away from that. Yeah, I was going to say, why are you potentially taking away points? 529, look, we're going to talk a lot more Saints here with Brendan Ertl for Houdat Wednesday. But before we do that, really, really quickly, James... The Louisiana Raging Cajuns golf team has just finished up their regional in Norman, Oklahoma. Uh, They will not be moving on to the NCAA tournament. They finished in 13th place. But yesterday, after their second round, head coach Theo Sliman talked about what he wanted to see out of his guys today. Yes, want to see them uh, obviously play with some grit, um, but one hole at a time with a lot of patience. These these regionals are pretty long days, as you know, uh, five plus hour rounds. Can't really control what anybody else does, but we can certainly control what we do. And it's kind of a joke I say to the guys a lot of times, you can control how high you tee the ball up and your attitude. So patience and a great attitude will go a long ways tomorrow. And he also talked about the performance of Eli Ortego. Yeah, Eli uh, struggled a little bit yesterday with the putter. I think he would admit to that. And worked on it yesterday afternoon. And, and really, uh, obviously, to shoot under par, you're, you're not only hitting it well, but you're uh, holding some putts. And he's poised. He always has been poised. And I'm really anxious to um, anxious to see all of them, particularly him, handle 18 holes tomorrow, one hole at a time. Take a timeout. Brendan Ertl joins us next for Who Dat Wednesday right here on The Game. 
going to go. Touchdown, Saints. Who's ready for some New Orleans Saints talk? We are. Here is Good at Wednesdays with Canal Street Chronicles' Brendan Ertle on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Brendan Ertle, what's going on, man? How are you? What's up, guys? Doing good. So, could Hunter Renfro be a New Orleans Saint? <laughs> I mean, at this moment, it seems like a long shot, but Does knowing the Raiders, knowing the Raiders and what they do, you have a great young slot receiver in Hunter Renfro. You drafted him what in the seventh round? You keep that guy, but knowing the Raiders, I think they might let him go. You don't. You don't. Um, you don't keep that guy when it saves you eleven million dollars against the cap if you trade him. But but in their situation, why? Why why are you rushing to get rid of him? He's not like a huge cap casualty. You've already gone through free agency. You've gone to the draft. What do you need $10 million for right now? I mean, he's been a staple of your team. Um, is, he, is it just because he hasn't been a New England Patriot before? Like, you only can have Jacoby Myers and Jimmy Garoppolo on that team. It just doesn't make sense to me. And uh, the report is from Hondo Car- Carpenter, who's really close with Derek Carr and really close to the Raiders. He says, I've been uh, reporting for several months that I do not expect him, Hunter Renfro, to return, and I expect something to happen after June 1st, which would uh, save the Raiders $10 million if they did Correct. trade him. So what are they asking to trade? I don't know, but that's something i definitely kick the tires on. I, I feel like you could probably get away with giving them a fourth-round pick. Yeah, I, I would. I would hope it's a day three pick. I don't think they could get a second or third in the situation, because um, I mean these reports are coming out there. They just don't want him. And Devonta Adams just the other day saying, you know, he doesn't see eye to eye with the front office and what they've been doing uh, philosophy wise. They just run differently. And I don't. I'm glad I don't cover the team because I, I just don't agree with with how the way they run things. You know, you go from Derek Carr. Um, to Jimmy Garoppolo, and then you know you go from Gruden to what the situation they have now. It just hasn't been the best, and you know I hope the best for Devontae Adams. But in a year from now, who knows where he'll be? Would you give him Traquan Smith to make it happen? <laughs> they can have Traquan Smith. Thank you. That's I, I my think, point. I think out of all the players in, in, in on this roster, I think Traquan has to have the best training camp to make this roster right now. That that's what I said earlier. If you give him Traquan Smith and just throw in a fifth rounder to make him feel better about the deal, I, I think I think they'd take that and run with it. I, I mean, if it saves them ten mil, I don't think this is a money thing with the Saints either. They have money to play with, and they have you know the people inside the building to to move that run, money around. Uh, you've already brought in Foster, bring in Hunter, and I feel like at times Hunter was probably Derek Carr's favorite. So um, I know Devontae had the career year numbers, but Hunter's kind of that, that Lance Moore that we haven't really had in this offense in a really long time. What were your thoughts of, of rookie minicamp? What were you able to to see and evaluate out of out of the rookie class? You know, not a ton. They What was interesting is they did release uh, Vincent Gray. I, I thought he was always a solid special teams piece and someone that would stick around a little bit. But I think the main part of rookie minicamp was, was Jake Hayner and um, I expected A.T. Perry to look good, and early reports that is he did look good. Um, but Jake Hayner, you know, he was the, in terms of the cognitive test score, he was number two behind Bryce Young. Um, and that's all about decision-making, quickness, and how fast your brain really works. And um, the early reports were that 
that's that's what he was doing. He looked like Drew Brees out there, quick decisions, early throws, accuracy. Um, so that's what you want to see from a guy like that. Uh, he doesn't need to come in and, and beat out anyone, but you'd like to have him, you know, look good and be that quarterback three and try to push that quarterback two spot. Um, and if it's anything more than that, that's that's incredible. But um, I think Jake Hanner was kind of the spotlight of rookie minicamp. And then the schedule came out late last week. You know, what were your thoughts? What are some games that stick out to you? And give me a way too early record prediction. Um, I think early in the schedule has always been a problem for the Saints. I don't know why, just historically, they haven't been able to start fast, even with the best teams that they've had, uh, from Drew to Sean uh, to, to now. It's always been a struggle. So the first few games, I think in the first, what, six weeks, they go on the road for, for those games. Mm-hmm. Um, I might be mistaken, but um, those are going to be crucial games because for Dennis Allen and especially Derek Carr, I think they both need a fast start. You'd like to go, you'd like to start off the season, you know, four and one, um, above 500. You have to start above 500, especially with those teams you're playing. You're getting Green Bay early, which is good. You don't want to see Jordan Love kind of settle in too much. Um, and that weather, of course, in Green Bay. Um, but yeah, I think the, the early part of the schedule it will be the toughest. If, if they can get going, get going fast, I think you could see 11, 12. But if, if it's a rocky start, you know, I think 10 and 7 is a reasonable number. And um, I think anything above 9 is, is fair. But if they, can fa- if, if they can find a way to start, you know, 5 and 5 and 5 and 0, 4 and 1, um, anything above 3 and 3, I wouldn't like. But I could see around 10, 10 to 11 wins just being modest. But this, this schedule is probably the easiest I've seen. Uh, Ever honestly, yeah, covering the Saints. It's definitely a fair one for for New Orleans. Let's let's talk about each side of the ball. Let's start with the offense. I mean, the the list of weapons now is just a a mile long. What what's the expectation for this group? I know it's a lot of new faces, but you've got plenty of time to gel together. Mm -hmm. There's no excuse. They have to be better. Uh, They have plenty of time, and uh, we've heard early, early indications are that. The expectation is the players. A lot, of, a lot of the players will be there for uh, OTAs and, and mini camp, and that was kind of a problem last year. I felt like the attendance wasn't all there, and with Sean, that wasn't really an issue because those teams rallied, they figured it out. But I, that was always something I pointed to with these slow starts. Is you know this team wasn't around each other a lot, and it sounds like you know if you keep up with um, everything Saints, it sounds like Tyron Matthew and. And the gang's been, you know, going golf carting, playing basketball. They've been hanging around each other. They've been working out together. The Saints have been posting pictures of players in the facility. So it's always good to see them there. Um, I think it'll be really important to get these guys. It's a lot of different faces for the Saints. And it's not like, you know, the Chiefs where they're bringing in back most of their core guys. They're a couple of others. This is a completely new roster, completely new offense. I think offensively it will be important to get those reps early. And I think – they probably are. Um, I mean, we talked about months ago, and Michael Thomas was like, yeah, we're wasting time. Let's get to work right now. Um, I know Derek Carr will eat that up, too. So uh, offensively, there's no excuse. they got to be better. Run game will be better. Um, the only real concern with me right now is, is offensive line and, and the depth at those positions. But, um, yeah, they're gonna, the expectation is to be 100% better. Now, Brendan, you know, 
when you look at this offense and, and, and you look at the schedule, how imperative is it going to be for Jamal Williams to really shine early on, especially considering we're still unsure how long Alvin Kamara is going to be suspended? Um, I, I think it's super important, and it's something that goes back to last season with Pete and the way this offense was ran. Um, it, it seemed like a struggle to just run the football, just gain a couple of yards. It seems so hard. Um, I think Jamal Williams, what he does really well is um, getting those easy yards, getting those easy uh, two to three, and he makes it look easy, breaks tackles, um, and that's really what he was brought in to do was being a red zone back, get in the end zone, uh, get those tough yards, and hopefully there's a situation where we see you know Kamara, Kendra Miller, and Jamal Williams all playing together. That'd be pretty cool. But uh, the goal of that is to not have Alvin Kamara run those inside runs, hopefully uh, use the screen game more. You now have backs that can do different things. Last year it just felt like we have just Alvin Kamara, and he has to do everything. And um, I think that took away from a lot of what they did. I, I remember there was uh, in week 17 against Carolina, Pete Carmichael, it was third and two. And we ran the exact same run play twice in a row, third and two, fourth and two, got stuffed both times. There's no creativity. Um, there was really no threat at all of getting, getting that. It just felt like they did it because they had to. I think what Jamal does is he adds a different dimension to this offense that we haven't had you know, really since Mark Ingram and Camaro were in their prime. So if they can get Jamal going, if the offensive line can be healthy and um, be moving guys, I, I think – That'll be even more important for Derek Carr, honestly, too, because he's thrived really well with running offense as well. So it helps everyone uh, if Jamal gets going early. Brendan Ertle joining us here on Crunch Time. Looking at the defense, tons of new pieces. Isaiah Foskey, Kendra, I mean, uh, Brian Brissy. You've got Jordan Howden in the secondary. Talk about this group. You know, still have a ton of leaders with Cam Jordan and Demario Davis and, and a couple others. Talk about this group and will they improve off of 2022? Yeah, I mean, the answer is yes because they can't be. I mean, they can be worse, but statistically, they will be better. Uh, they were a top of the league defense and were a bottom of the league defense in terms of turnovers. And I don't know if that was just being unlucky or uh, the slow start that the secondary had. Uh, you know, Lattimore missed a lot of time. Marcus May missed a lot of time throughout the year. They had cornerback switches all throughout the year. Hopefully it's not going to happen. I mean, hopefully we have health. Tyron and Marcus May have played together for a year, so they know each other a little bit better. Uh, Tyron Matthew started out the year, you know, a little rough, but then finished really, really strong. He's one of the best uh, players of that position. So, I think the defense will be better. I, I think it can be better. It will turn the ball over more. The thing I'm worried about still right now is I know the pass rush is getting better, but I'm still worried about that run defense. Um, what did they really do to fix that? I, I don't. I don't. I don't really know. I think Kalen Saunders is a good piece. Nathan Shepard will be good in the run. Uh, Brian Brzee. I mean, we'll see how he do, he does in the run game. But they're getting tested week one. And I, I, I'll give them a win week one against the Tennessee Titans, but, you know, this is a revamped defensive line with a defense that has been historically really good against the run, uh, but not recently. And you get Derrick Henry week one. So they're going to be tested route the gate, and I think uh, the secondary will be fine, but I think 
the, the weakness of the defense that will have to they'll have to prove me wrong will be the run defense. Brendan, what are you going to do with all this free time on your hands now that the, the semester's over? I, see, you guys, a lot of these people, I won't say you guys, uh, are graduating, you know, school's over. I'm still going. I still got five weeks left. Oh, y'all don't until June. Yeah, I'm, I'm here till June. So, um, yeah, it's, it's nice, and uh, I'm totally enjoying school. So when do you, when do you graduate? Uh, June 15th. Oh, so you're graduating this semester? Yeah, but we, it, the West Coast does things a little bit differently in terms of, uh, I don't know how, how they do it differently. I think we start later or earlier. I don't know. This man needs uh, a job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This man needs a job. I'm hiring, or I'm looking for a job. I'm yeah. hiring, <laughs> he said. <laughs> he said I'm, I'm hiring. hiring. <laughs> oh, the, the, the Brendan Ertle Company. <laughs> Not, I'm not sure what it does. Not Ertle Inc. Ertle Inc. Ertle Incorporated. Brendan Ertle joining us here on Crunch Time each and every Wednesday for Who Dat Wednesday. Brendan, appreciate you as always, man. Enjoy the weekend, and we'll do it again next week. Yes, sir. And there he goes, Brendan Ertle. That was funny. I'm hiring. No, I want to be hired. <laughs> oh, that was great. 548. We'll take a time out here when we return. We'll wrap up today's show. We'll get you set for the McNeese Coaches Show right here on The Game. This is Crunch Time on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Riding coasters, live music, and fried fair food. The Cajun Heartland State Fair is back, and the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles is giving away family packs of ride tickets. Just text CHSF to 337-283-8100 for a chance to win a family pack of tickets. That's 80 tickets to the Cajun Heartland State Fair at the Cajun Dome, May 25th to June 4th, brought to you by the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. From the Louisiana Raging Cajuns to the latest with the New Orleans Saints and Pelicans. Miguez and Mesh cover it all. I'm not worried. Uh, I think it's something that I can get under control. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. We're back. Got about four minutes left in today's show. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. McNeese Baseball begins their three-game series with the Red Hawks of Miami, Ohio. This week, Actually, tonight, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, at Joe Miller Ballpark. James, look, McNeese, we, we talked about their loss last night to LSU. I think they bounced back in a big way for a couple reasons. They're 32-19 on the year. They're at 500 in the conference. 22-8 at home. When you look at Miami of Ohio... They're 19 and 34. They're 13 and 17 in the MAC. And they are 11 and 20 on the road. So, not even knowing squat about the Miami of Ohio Redhawks, just looking at their schedule, the advantage is McNeese. Yeah, you feel like the Cowboys should win this one. Um, the real question is, though, are they hiring like Brendan Ertle? Oh, my God. McNeese actually is hiring for a position in the athletics department. So maybe we maybe we could get Brendan down to, to southwest Louisiana after all. I might have to text him about that. Too bad his family's in Minnesota. 
I still question how that guy ever became a Saints fan. I just, I I'd sometimes. Well, he had explained it before. Yeah, that was a long time ago. <laughs> I forget things. Uh, I, I, might, I might need him to explain it to me again. Um, but look, three games set tonight at 6, tomorrow at 6, Friday at 1 o'clock. And I, I think that, again, this is a series that McNeese should handle pretty easily. I could see them taking two out of three, potentially sweeping this series and really giving themselves some momentum headed into the Southland Conference Tournament next weekend, which, by the way, is also at Joe Miller Ballpark in Lake Charles. So home field advantage for Justin Hill's group. James, one final preview. Heat Celtics. Who wins? Man. Give me the C's. Even though it kind of feels like everyone's picking the Celtics, which leads to the perfect lane of, oh, now the Heat are winning. But the way the Celtics played in Game 7 and the way they started to lock down and actually play defense in Game 6, Jason Tatum finally waking up, you feel like the Celtics should take this game tonight and take the early series lead. I'm going to go with the C's as well. Um, they're just too good. They're it's just as simple as that. They're just too special. Um, if they do what they're supposed to do, they're just going to overpower Miami. Um, the trick is don't forget what a 2-3 zone is. <laughs> yeah, uh, there you go. Because teams struggle with that sometimes. Um, also... Talking a little soccer real quick. Congrats to Manchester City absolutely demolishing Real Madrid. And they're now headed to Istanbul for the Champions League final in June. I want to thank our guest today, head coach Jerry Glasgow, Jake Crane, and Brendan Ertle for joining us. For James Mesh, I'm Matt Miguez. Be safe, be well, give a hug to your mom and them. And we're back tomorrow for 30 minutes. And one of our top stories is already going to be this. Why is another Diamondbacks pitcher trying to be like Randy Johnson? We'll talk about that tomorrow, 4 to 4.30, right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Let's now turn it over to Jim Gazzolo for the McNeese Coaches Show.